Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 18th. In today's news, Republican appointees in Michigan certified Detroit's vote tallies in a reversal. Pfizer completes its vaccine trial with more promising data, and the military has a missile defense breakthrough that might protect us from North Korea. But first, the big idea. President Trump last night fired a top Department of Homeland Security official who led the agency's successful efforts to help secure the election and was vocal about tamping down unfounded claims of ballot fraud. In a tweet, naturally, Trump fired Chris Krebs, who headed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Earlier in the day, Krebs had refuted allegations that election systems were manipulated, saying that 59 election security experts all agree. In every case of which we are aware, these claims either have been unsubstantiated or are technically incoherent. Krebs's statement amounted to a debunking of Trump's central claim that the November election was stolen from him. Trump, who still refuses to concede to President-elect Joe Biden, said on Twitter that Krebs's comment was, quote, highly inaccurate and therefore effective immediately, Chris Krebs has been terminated. Following that tweet, acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf called up Krebs's number two, Matthew Travis, to inform him that the White House had overruled succession plans that were in place, which would name him as acting director. This essentially forced Travis to resign, and then a loyalist was installed. Trump and his allies have offered no proof for his fraud allegations, and the president's claims on Twitter last night were quickly flagged as disputed. My colleagues Ellen Nakashima and Nick Miroff report that Krebs' dismissal was not unexpected. He told associates last week he was expecting to get the axe. His latest tweet about the security of the election, which followed similar earlier assessments by his agency, including on its rumor control webpages, deeply angered the president, according to several White House and campaign aides. After his firing, Krebs responded on his personal Twitter account, writing, quote, Honored to serve. We did it right. Defend today. Secure tomorrow. Hashtag protect 2020. Krebs worked closely at DHS with former Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, who resigned in April 2019 after clashing with Trump over election security and immigration. His association with Nielsen also factored into Trump's decision to purge Krebs. The news has disturbed many current and former officials and cybersecurity professionals who say that under Krebs, DHS significantly boosted the agency's capabilities to help the private sector as well as those managing election infrastructure, to better defend themselves against foreign and domestic threats. Krebs was hired in March 2017 at DHS as a senior counselor by then-Secretary John Kelly, the retired Marine general who would later become White House chief of staff and then sour on Trump. In June 2018, Chris was confirmed as undersecretary for the National Protection and Programs Directorate, which was rebranded after the midterms as CISA. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, Republican appointees on a keyboard in Michigan's most populous county last night reversed their initial refusal to certify the vote tallies in the Detroit area, striking a last-minute compromise with Democrats that diffused a political fight over the process to formalize Biden's victory in the state. The unexpected twist came after the four-member Wayne County Board of Canvassers had deadlocked on the day of the deadline for Michigan counties to certify their votes. It was a move Trump celebrated on Twitter as a, quote, beautiful thing, 
Democrats accuse GOP officials of seeking to disenfranchise voters in the majority black city of Detroit. Democrats in the state said Trump has no hope of overturning Biden's 148,000 vote lead. Trump supporters have been urging Michigan's majority Republican state legislature to appoint its own slate of Trump electors if they could get the state canvassing board, which is split evenly by law between Democrats and Republicans, to not certify the vote before the Electoral College meets in December. The reversal in Michigan came as the Trump campaign continues to face a stream of failures in its beleaguered effort to overturn the results of a popular election through the courts. In the latest defeat yesterday, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court rejected the Trump campaign's claim that GOP observers did not have sufficient access to the vote counting. Meanwhile, in Nevada, the campaign filed a lawsuit yesterday asking a state court in Carson City to declare Trump the winner of Nevada's six electoral votes and or to annul the election entirely. There's literally no basis to do that, but they filed the lawsuit anyway. Even as the president's allies frantically raced to roll out more baseless allegations across the country, multiple people close to the campaign acknowledged last night to Kayla Rubel, Elise Vibeck, Josh Dossi, and John Swain that there is little evidence to support any of their assertions. And they're all bemoaning the ascension of Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who has sidelined other legal advisors in the campaign. During an appearance yesterday in federal court in Pennsylvania, Giuliani made broad, unsubstantiated allegations about widespread voter fraud, yet he conceded that Trump's team was not alleging any specific fraud as a matter of law. Giuliani's uneven, rambling remarks were met with derision by an attorney for the state of Pennsylvania who questioned whether the former New York mayor understands basic legal procedure. And Giuliani also faced pretty sharp questioning from the judge. Giuliani is seeking to orchestrate a large news conference at the RNC headquarters on Capitol Hill for later this week. But Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel is telling people that she's unlikely to attend because she doesn't want to be affiliated with what's going on. Instead, Giuliani is working with Boris Efitsen, who in between stints as a campaign aide worked as a Sinclair TV commentator and appeared by Rudy's side in Pennsylvania on Tuesday. And get this, according to the New York Times, and we confirm this, the former mayor is asking to be paid $20,000 a day by the Trump campaign for this work. It's not clear that he'll get anything. Number two, good news this morning from Pfizer. The coronavirus vaccine being developed by the pharmaceutical giant, along with German biotechnology firm BioNTech, is 95% effective at preventing disease. That is according to an analysis after the trial reached its endpoint. The trial also reached a critical safety milestone with two months of follow-ups on half of the participants and will submit an application to the FDA within days for emergency authorization. Carolyn Johnson reports that in this trial, half the 44,000 participants received the experimental vaccine and half received a placebo. As those people went about their normal lives, they were exposed to virus in their communities, and physicians tracked all cases with symptoms to see if the vaccine had any protective effect. The data have not been published yet or peer-reviewed, and they'll be closely scrutinized by the FDA and an independent advisory committee that makes recommendations to the agency. But among people over 65, a group at high risk of severe illness, the vaccine was 94% effective. That's amazing. U.S. government officials anticipate having 40 million doses of the vaccine by the end of the year, enough to vaccinate 20 million people, because you need to get it twice. And last night, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for the first coronavirus self-test that you can take at home. 
The Lucera All-in-One Kit is a molecular single-use test that the agency said provides rapid results. The test works by swirling the self-collected sample swab in a vial that's then placed in a test unit. In 30 minutes or less, the results can be read on the light-up display on the unit. Meanwhile, in America yesterday, at least 159,000 new cases of coronavirus were reported. More than 77,000 people remain hospitalized in America this morning. And in a sign of deepening anxiety about how Trump's refusal to recognize the results of the election might impair our nation's response to the coronavirus at such a critical juncture, going into a dark winter, the leaders of the three largest medical associations in America urged the Trump administration to begin cooperating with Biden's transition team. Sadly, over on Capitol Hill, Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, who's 87 years old and is president pro temp, the third in line to the presidency, revealed that he has tested positive for the virus. The senator was at the Capitol on Monday and spoke on the Senate floor, taking off his mask to do so. Ironically, he delivered a speech urging Americans to wear masks, socially distance, and step up their personal responsibilities. And the contagion continues to massively spread in the Midwest, which is ground zero right now. More than 900 employees at the prestigious Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where my mom lives, have now tested positive in the past two weeks as infections surge in the region. In 93% of those instances, according to the hospital, staffers were exposed to the virus outside of work. That's terrifying. Meanwhile, yesterday, Trump ordered that wreaths across America be uncanceled. I told you yesterday about Arlington National Cemetery canceling that event, saying that it couldn't safely mitigate the risk to thousands of visitors and cemetery staff. But then Trump ordered it go ahead anyway, even if it puts people's health in jeopardy. Number three, one of the threats that Biden is going to have to deal with when he takes office on January 20th is North Korea. North Korea has more nuclear warheads and greater capability to deliver them than when Trump took office, despite his photo ops and his love letters with Kim Jong-un. A few weeks ago, the regime rolled out a massive new road mobile ICBM during a parade in Pyongyang. It is a larger version of the nuclear-capable North Korean missiles that can already reach the continental United States. Literally, in just a few minutes, Kim could take out Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, if he wanted to. Fortunately, our friends in the military-industrial complex are making important progress in being able to protect us against this clear and present danger. The U.S. military has just successfully shot down an intercontinental ballistic missile in a critical test that demonstrated for the first time that the U.S. can intercept ICBMs from a warship at sea. The Missile Defense Agency says the USS John Finn struck and destroyed a threat representative ICBM using a standard Missile 3 Block 2A interceptor over the Pacific Ocean just northeast of Hawaii. Up until now, the U.S. has relied on missile interceptors based in silos in Alaska and California to down ICBMs headed toward our homeland. This week's test gives the Pentagon another layer of defense by showing that the sea-based systems originally intended to down intermediate-range ballistic missiles can now intercept longer-range ICBMs. Paul Sonny reports that the idea is for these ships to serve as a backup if the interceptors based on land fail to strike the incoming ICBMs. Military planners call the concept shoot, look, shoot, meaning they would be able to see whether the silo-based interceptors succeeded in hitting the incoming missile, and if not, shoot at the missile again from the warships. This was the sixth try. The two most recent tests failed because of human error on the ship, in one instance, and in the other case because of a failed component. 
While this program is geared toward defending us from North Korea, the system can also be deployed on land in Asia to defend U.S. forces in Guam against North Korean and Chinese missiles, and the U.S. could deploy the technology to the Mediterranean to protect U.S. forces in Europe and our NATO allies from Iranian missiles. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 18th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.